to say that I have had, I don't usually have this problem, but I had a problem where I had like three or four different resurrection messages uh, that were on my heart. Two or three by the time, you know, I preached it. And then, and I tell you what, I told my wife, for me, it's not Holy Week, it's like Holy Month, you know, because uh, I just feel the Lord's been really speaking a lot to my heart. And, uh, and I was like, Lord, how am I going to do this? And I've come to the point where uh, I've got, I knew I had one of them I was going to do next year. And what I'm going to do, and I was so excited about that one uh, last year when we came back from Israel. And I thought I was going to be preaching that one this year, but I thought I'm going to hold off one more year on that. And then there's another one that I was going to preach today. Well, actually I wanted to preach last week. I moved it to this week. Now I'm moving it to next year and making the other one I was putting next year because it fits Christ's crucifixion at the crucifixion. And the one I was going to preach, we'll see what happens. I got to keep seeing the Lord on it. The, the following uh, Sunday on the resurrection. And I'm excited because it ties into what I'm sharing this week. And I'm trying to put some of this down in, in a written, a lot of it, well, it's all in written form usually, 99% of the stuff I do. But in a, you know, uh, just more articulate way. Uh, but, and then maybe making that available to uh, people on that level as well, because there's so many radical things going on. And I thought, you know, I need to get back to COVID-19, which I've been tying into some of my messages as well, and relate that as far as some of the things that are going on, because it's quite crazy. And so I was like, really, you know, after I, I preached the Scarlet Thread message, uh, not last Sunday, but prior to the Resurrection Sunday message. And that was meant to tie in to Psalm 22, uh, which it does quite beautifully. But I wanted to wait till this week to really get into it deeper, which again, as I mentioned, will be a year away. But this week will be just as deep because I had a, one problem when I got done preaching that message. I left so much beautiful meat on the bone uh, regarding the scarlet thread. And I'm not even, and, and you know, I've got a lot of responses, some texts from people that were really encouraged by that. And I thought, you know what, there's so much beauty there that I left there, some of my favorite typologies and pictures of Christ. And one specifically that would have been a, you know, great follow-up. But you remember last week I did Psalm chapter 22, and we went verse by verse through that. And there were many incredible things in that Psalm that we discovered, hopefully together. Uh, now, I was walking with my dog, going for a walk in the neighborhood, you know, stir crazy, just close in, I'd just go for a walk, get some exercise, praying, and wondering what, if I, what message I should do for this Sunday. And whether I was going to talk about the resurrection doves, which I haven't talked about in years and years and years, had a message on, or the other message, what specifically, and as we're walking, no kidding, I, I'm hearing some strange noises. And it's not your typical noises that birds make. I was like, what in the world is that? Uh, it was, sounded like just some strange creatures up at a tree. And I looked up there, and, and it was two uh, morning doves. It was just two beautiful. And there's something about doves that's just hard to get your brain around because there's an elegance, there's a softness, there's a sweetness, there's a beauty. And the Bible classifies birds as clean and unclean. And you don't usually, sometimes the looks actually... <laughs> don't really determine that, you know, as to what you could eat under the Old Testament law. We're not under the law of Moses. You can eat everything but a bat, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I was checking out these, uh, and they're just both looking at us, you know, you know, as they're in, their, in this tree, and it's in this front yard that I'm walking by, and they're both like on a branch that's kind of facing us, and they're so beautiful. And I said, Lord, I don't know if that's confirmation for you, but I'm preaching on the resurrection doves. And I had already... Knew, I already known I was going to go to 22 of, of Psalm last uh, Sunday, but I thought I've definitely got to do that message because it ties to the scarlet thread we've been talking about that weaves its way through Scripture, and I didn't share that, and it's one of my favorite typologies of Jesus. And I know you probably hear me when I preach on typology. I'll say this is one of my favorites. And it's like your kids. Which one's your favorite or your grandkids? It's like, that's a tough question because I really can't answer that because I love all of them in different ways. They're, they've all got things that, you know, you, you love all of them from the love of the Lord, but there's different things you appreciate about each of them. And uh, this typology is so beautiful. It, it's so mind-boggling. It's such a power, the typologies, the types are, and pictures of Jesus are powerful evidences that can never be overthrown, that God exists and that he works in history, that his word 
the Bible is his word. It's inspired by God because there's all these pictures of how Jesus would be rejected, how he'd be crucified. Uh, these, there's direct statements like Isaiah chapter 53. There's powerful prophecies like we just went through in uh, Psalm chapter 22. But then there's these typologies and pictures. And typologies are foreshadowings, different events that God uses in the Old Testament, different things and different people to foreshadow the future and predictively, prophetically shine light on who Jesus would be. The Bible says, Paul says in Colossians chapter two, he talks about how, uh, you know, these things that were written in the Old Testament, like a lot of these laws and so forth as well, which we're going to be looking at today. He said, these were the the shadow these are the, sh- the shadow, but the reality is in Christ. Like you have a shadow of a tree. It'll show you what the tree will look like a bit until you actually see the tree. Well, these shadows actually, ironically, cast a lot of light for us to understand and appreciate on the tree. And it's, they're prophetic. So it's really, really, they're really, really heavy. Jesus said in, in Hebrews, in the chapter 10, I believe, in the volume of the book, the Old Testament, it is written of me. Jesus said in John chapter 5 that Moses spoke about me. On the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, he appeared to a couple of his disciples, and they were forlorn because he had just been crucified. It had been three days, and and they hadn't yet known about the resurrection. They heard about it, but they hadn't seen the physical evidence themselves, and they were just thinking and contemplating these things. And Jesus came before them, walked along the way, and they're heartbroken, despondent, and he begins to open up the scriptures to them, the Old Testament, and he showed them himself resurrected in the Old Testament scripture. And he may have actually showed the passage that I'm going to look at now. I don't know. I, can't, I hope, I hope, I hope there's a videotape of that Bible study. And a little bit later, right after that, those two went and told the other 11 disciples, all but Judas, who'd betrayed him. And as they were telling him, Jesus appeared in their midst and he opened up the scripture to them as well. And it says he showed them himself in the Psalms in the law, in the Psalms, and in the prophets, the three designations of the whole of Tanakh, all of the scripture. Mind-boggling. So Jesus is all over the Old Testament. And it's interesting because I want to talk about the resurrection dove. And I want to talk about another dove that was killed. And I want to talk about leprosy because these doves, the dove that was killed, the dove that was allowed to fly away are an incredible picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ in connection with the healing of a leper. And to contract leprosy in ancient Israel was basically to receive a death warrant, you know? It's like the worst thing that could happen to you. And you were alienated from everybody and your life was just turned upside down and you were infectious and you were considered, you know, unclean you couldn't go into the temple, you know. You couldn't worship with the community. You couldn't even be in your own tent and you could not be in the community. You'd be ostracized. And leprosy is a picture of us. We are all spiritual lepers. In fact, they were treated like zombies by a lot of people. In fact, uh, uh, one of the ancient terms for lepers was called the walking dead. No kidding. And it's interesting because leprosy is in Scripture illustrative of sin. No doubt about it. And I'll share some of that with you. And it was a picture of sin. Now, we all have sin. So it didn't mean somebody who had leprosy was a special sinner. We all have the problem of sin. But we all show the results of sin in our fallen natures. We show the results of sin in the fact that we are all decaying. And by the standards of God creating us to live, we all have the sense of death written in us and we are deteriorating. Compared to the angels who are eternal, right? Because of God's hand. We're to Cain. We look like zombies to them. The way we behave, and we're kind of a freaky race. But we judge ourselves by our standards. We think we're okay. And now we're all quarantining ourselves, many of us, hundreds of millions of people, because of COVID-19. And we're all potentially infectious and if we have that disease. So it's interesting. In light of everything that was going on, praying about it. And I want to do a message, Lord willing, next week on biomedical pre-science and show you some of the laws of the Old Testament and how there's no way these sanitation laws, these health laws, these quarantine laws could have been written in the Old Testament long before microbiology and the understanding of germs and the Israelis had this special unique set of laws that everybody else just thought were just strange. But God was said he was keeping, giving them these laws to keep them from the diseases of the other nations. Quite interesting. And 
I, I was in trouble almost because I, I've, I've worked on literally probably 100 pages I've written on that. And I was working some of that into this message. I had to stop. I said, Lord, let me just focus on, I, got, I know I got to stay focused on the, the death, burial, and resurrection because this picture is so beautiful. And I'm going to get into that, Lord willing, next week. Great time for non-believers to see a message where God is speaking about disease and sickness and how we're copying a lot of things that God actually said to do and nobody else was doing a long time ago. That'll be next week, Lord willing. But I wanted to continue with the scarlet thread theme as well because I pointed out to you, scarlet is the color that blood turns when it leaves your body. Your, your blood is red, but when it leaves the body, it becomes a darker, more crimson red, okay? And uh, when that happens and it, it turns red, uh, darker red, uh, it's, it's considered crimson or scarlet. And it's interesting I don't have time to get into the last message a lot other than to say there's a scarlet thread that's woven through scripture. Rahab, who would have been put to death along with the others in Jericho uh, when the Jews had come because of the rebellion against God and they were coming into the land and they were in the front of the promised land. Uh, she was spared because they said if she put a scarlet cord outside of her, uh, if she, I can't do that, sorry. If you put a, a, a scarlet cord outside the window, I'll see you. We'll see you and we'll spare you. And what happened when they saw the scarlet cord, everyone else got wiped out. She was spared in her family. She ended up in the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, she wasn't only given this uh, special privilege to be in the Hall of Faith chapter. She actually worked into Jesus' genealogy. Okay, quite amazing. And we see this scarlet thread literally at times like the firstborn that was to be a, a wrap of a scarlet thread that was to come out of uh, Tamar's womb, boom, the scarlet thread again. And the first, who ended, ended up, the one who ended up being the firstborn from her ended up being in Jesus' genealogy too. You have this literal scarlet thread, but then you have this scarlet thread, meaning the shedding of Christ, shedding of blood from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis all the way up until the time of Christ. These animal sacrifices and so forth that were pictures of Jesus. And it gets so much deeper than this. Uh, and I, I shared a number of examples of this scarlet thread throughout the Old Testament. And it gets so much deeper than this. It was supposed to be used with the red heifer, okay? Which uh, the, uh, uh, is supposed to use, a, it was used by the Jews on the Day of Atonement with the scapegoat that they would chase in the wilderness. The Jews would wipe, wrap scarlet thread around its horns. And it was a picture that, that one goat uh, that the lot fell upon was killed and the blood was put on the mercy seat which, by the way, had scarlet painting all over the priest, uh, his, the dyed clothes of the high priest, the uh, curtains and so forth. I'm, I don't want to regurgitate that entire message, but there was scarlet everywhere, and there was blood everywhere for the sacrifice. It was all a picture, pretty, pretty brutal, of what was going to happen to Jesus, ultimately. And it's interesting, the, the, that the goat was you know, put to death, and the priest who could come in once a year on the Day of Atonement would offer its blood on the mercy seat, but that they would also, the priest would stick his hand on the other goat and confess the sins of Israel, conferring the sins of Israel to the, uh, the goat. And they chased that goat in the wilderness and it was called the scapegoat. And that was a picture of Jesus, of course. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, amen? The sins of us all were put upon him and he paid for us. So I want to encourage you guys to... Uh, Really think this through because this scarlet thread appears in this story as well. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful types in all the Bible. And since we've been celebrating the resurrection, and you should celebrate that every day, actually. And since we're not doing communion with everybody, uh, I want to stay focused a lot during this time on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Now, it's quite interesting because leprosy... And a lot of people think leprosy is gone. It's not gone. It's in different parts of the world still. In fact, there's about 5,000 people that have suffered or suffered the effects of leprosy in the United States to this day. About 150 people a year contract leprosy, okay? And now they have a few different antibiotics, a special cocktail of antibiotics to where they can lessen the effects uh, and, and kill the bacteria. But most people still live with effects. They live with reactions and so forth to the initial uh, leprosy, and it isn't allowed typically to get nearly as bad as it was in biblical times, and as it is in certain parts of the world to this day. It's a horrible, horrible disease. However, it's interesting 
I've got different biblical encyclopedias. When you consult the biblical encyclopedias, the best biblical encyclopedias, they'll usually, the entries on leprosy will usually state, well, this word, Hebrew word, can, can, you know, deals with perhaps a broad range of various skin diseases and a list of different diseases. But almost invariably, or invariably from what I've seen, they'll state, however, this doesn't deal with Hansen's disease, leprosy as we know it today with the word leprosy. So some translations will even translate it like something like a serious skin disease or what have you. Uh, that was up until the year 2000. Encyclopedias, that, biblical encyclopedias that have been updated or come out since, hopefully they've got on, board, got on board because guess what? They discovered in the year 2000 the oldest evidence of an actual le- leper, the physical evidence of an actual leper uh, in, the, in, in history. And guess where he was found? Jerusalem, right where Jesus in that same century was healing lepers. And uh, two, uh, <laughs> it's crazy because it was the year 2000. I thought, Lord, you're just an interesting, uh, it's very interesting how the Lord works. And by the way, it was uh, Professor Mark uh, Spiegelman, visiting professor of the UCL Center uh, for Infectious Diseases and the International Health uh, and the, of the Coven Center for uh, Tropical and Infectious Diseases of the Hebrew University stated this, listen to this. And I saw a documentary on this when it first came out years ago. I thought it was fascinating. Quote, uh, when this tomb was discovered, talking about in Jerusalem, one small chamber was still sealed and housed the remains of a man and the remnants of the burial shroud. The only one that had survived from the first century in Jerusalem. It's interesting, it's the only tomb that had survived and was still sealed from the first century because by that time, bandits had come through, but there was a maze of them and they missed this one and it was still sealed. And the only one that had survived from the first century, he goes on to state the fact that these remains were separated off from others in a sealed chamber prompted questions about why. Like, why is this sealed and why is it way over here? And the concern was maybe the person had died of, of, of an infectious disease. He goes on to write, the presence of leprosy explains this arrangement and the data we have extracted helped us to understand more about these ancient diseases. So they sent the, uh, the remains to a laboratory in Canada and they did forensic tests on it and the molecular evidence revealed, no question about it, this person died of leprosy in the time of Jesus in Jerusalem where Jesus ministered. Fascinating. So when the Bible speaks of leprosy, the oldest leper we know of for sure, guess what? Was in the biblical lands. So obviously it contained. And then when you look at the descriptions of some of the leprosy in the Old Testament, it makes sense uh, quite clearly. In fact, it's interesting that leprosy was so serious that you had to be isolated from everybody. Just like people are being quarantined with COVID-19, you had to be isolated from the rest of humanity, the rest of the community of Israel, the rest of God's people, uh, the the nation, uh, and so forth. And we read of King Uzziah, the king who contracted leprosy. Uh, It was a leper, it says 2 Chronicles 26, 21. He was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house. Even though he was a king, he had to live in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Wow, That's, that's heavy. Now, it's interesting, as a leper, you would have to practice social distancing. There's a law, you couldn't go close to people. You'd have to yell, unclean, unclean. In fact, guess what you had to do? It says in the Bible, you had to put your hand over your mouth. It says to put it, most translations will say, uh, some will say over your mouth, some will say on your mustache, some will say on your upper lip. You know, I think the ESV says upper lip. What happens when you put your hand on your upper lip? So when you yelled, unclean, unclean, guess what you weren't doing? You weren't, now they didn't have a clue about transmission of germs back then. In fact, it would be several centuries later, okay? It'd be a couple of millenniums plus later before microbiology and advancements that we understood the transmission of germs. And I, I, that's, this message is, I'll save this for the biomedical pre-science message next week. It's gonna blow you away, okay? But God had quarantined them but there's so much more going on here. And, but it was so heartbreaking because leprosy became a, a picture of sin for people because historically in biblical times, it was often associated with personal rebellion against God. Miriam contracted leprosy because of her jealousy. 
Numbers 12.10, and perhaps racism, as I believe. Uzziah, the king, because of his disobedience to God, 2 Kings 15.5. Gehazi, because of his covetousness, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 27. However, having said that, you know, as we teach, because it's clear in the scripture, that doesn't mean that if we get a serious disease or sickness, it's uh, always or even usually because of a direct sin you've committed. We've seen that Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, right when the COVID thing started, Jesus said, unless you repent, meaning everybody's guilty of sin. Do you think these were worse sinners than those and so forth? I don't want to go into that, but we've already been through that. Look at Job. He's the most blameless man on earth. He suffered more than anybody physically at that time. Uh, was this man more, born blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents? Jesus said, neither. Okay, so I want to make sure you don't draw a hard line and say if somebody's got a serious disease, it's because of something they've done wrong. That's, that's not biblical. Sometimes that could be the result, but not always. But what's interesting, since leprosy was a picture, though, of all of our sin and what happens to humanity because of sin, it became a powerful illustration for what sin does and how it ravishes the soul, how it alienates us from God. You see, leprosy causes incredible nerve damage where you lose your feelings in your hands, your feet, much if not all of your body eventually. And you become very unfeeling physically. And Dr. Paul Brand, he wrote a book called Wonderfully and Fearfully Made, a doctor, missionary doctor, who visited, uh, who was in the you know, Far East and so forth, or the East, uh, dealing with lepers for many, many years, they thought that, and it's true, you do lose the digits of your fingers and toes because of the nerve damage. You can get infections and you can lose those digits or they can become smaller. But he said he also found that rats were eating their fingers and their toes at nighttime uh, and they couldn't feel it to wake up, okay? Pretty gross, but reality. You lose feeling. Uh, and it's interesting, what does sin do? The Bible talks about when we sin, we become calloused. Ephesians talks about that. Other scriptures, Romans, that we become hard-hearted that we lose feeling, we become past feeling, it says. So it's quite interesting when I think of the parallels between uh, leprosy and the fact that we all have spiritual leprosy and we all need to be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So now I'm spe specifically speaking of leprosy in the context of Hansen's disease, which was just named after the guy that actually discovered the actual pathogen. But it's interesting because... Uh, your flesh would literally be eaten away to a degree, not, not by a flesh-eating disease, but because of the nerves and, and, and everything else. And uh, in fact, we read of Miriam when she had leprosy. Aaron described his sister Miriam's leprosy when he pleaded for her healing and said, oh, do not let her be like, the, like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And it's interesting here because we have that, that, that's what we are spiritually. The Bible talks about spiritually that we are like the dead. The Bible says we're, Ephesians chapter two, we're described as dead in our sins. The one, like the, we're the, we're the, we're the walking dead. Okay, we're the lepers, we're the zombies, all of us are. Okay, it's not certain people have leprosy, everybody. We are all infected, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us suffer the ravages of sin, Amen. And it's interesting because sin also alienates you. Well, what did leprosy do? You would have to go outside the camp. Like I mentioned with King Uzziah, what happened to him? He had to go outside the camp and he had to live in his own house. And we read in Leviticus 13, 46, when it deals with leprosy, it says, he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Isn't that interesting? We are outside. Only the high priest once a year could go in the Holy of Holies to God's presence. Our sin has separated us from God. The Bible says your sin has separated you from your God. Nobody could enter the holiest place until Jesus died. Even the, those saints who died in the faith in the Old Testament, they had to go to Abraham's bosom. Not have, they couldn't go to the heavenly kingdom. God's Holy Spirit couldn't live in the deepest sanctum of our heart because we were separated from God because of sin. And it wasn't until Jesus died and the veil was torn because we are, as they were considered unclean, the lepers, we are all unclean. The Bible says our sin has made us unclean. There's many scriptures that talk about uh, sin making us unclean. Well, sin disfigures us. 
Sin disfigures us. Leprosy, uh, the first, there, there's white patches that appear on the skin often. Running sores, okay, the loss of digits, you know, fingers and toes. Uh, uh, what happens also is they're shortened and deformed because of the cartilage that's being absorbed by the rest, by the body, okay? And it's interesting, uh, your body becomes radically disfigured and because of the mucous membrane and everything and, and being, you know, and things being absorbed into your skull, your face actually collapses. You'll see a nose actually protrude. The face get bigger with a leper. Uh, hair will often fall out. Now, in biblical times, if you had hair, you're supposed to keep it unkept. And you are also supposed to wear torn or ripped up clothes. So you can identify yourself as a leper so somebody would know that you were a leper so they wouldn't get close to you and just walk by you and pick up the contagion. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Sin disfigures us. The mucus line of the nose would lead to internal damage, okay, and scarring, and then the nose would c collapse when untreated, right? So leprosy actually caused deformity. Our sin causes us to be deformed, okay, spiritually. Uh, we are tohu wabohu. If you've been listening to the messages on Typology Tuesday, every, type, every Tuesday we have, we have messages, but a lot of the, most of those Tuesdays we do Typology Tuesday, and we've talked a lot about how we are tohu wabohu, without form and void before the light of Christ comes into our lives. We are spiritual lepers. It causes blindness. Uh, it causes a weakening of the eyelids, and you lose the ability to blink, and eventually, uh, as time goes by, uh, this could lead to blindness, and we are spiritually blind before we come to Jesus. We're, we're living in darkness. It cripples often times when, it's, uh, when lepers eventually become crippled. And scripturally speaking, guess what? Before we walked with the Lord, we had no walk. Jesus said, apart from me, you could do nothing. Of course, it's infectious. It's infectious. And the Bible talks about how we pass sin from one generation to the other in the human race. And the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible says if you hang out with an angry person, you'll become angry like they are. Sin is infectious. Okay? And it's, it's just... So sad that the, the, near, the nerve damages causes like a clawing effect in the hands where they go inward. And you have all these other problems that are going on. And you could think, well, that's so sad. It is, you know. It's so hideous looking, right? That's what we look like to the Lord. Perhaps to the angels as well. Spiritually, okay? We can't get into God's kingdom because we are unclean. What I'm saying is we're all infected. We're all uh, spiritual lepers. We're all diseased spiritually. In fact, in Isaiah, he talks about it being like sickness from head to toe, our sin, right? You know, though your sin is what? Scarlet, right? Scarlet, it's, 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 and it says crimson, right, as well. It'll, you'll be made white as snow. If you come, let us reason together, amen? Says the Lord, right? Though your sin is scarlet, guess what? He can make you white as snow. He can make you like wool. And, well, how does he do that, though? What's going on there? Uh, there's a lot of heavy things happening here. So I want you to hear the law of the leper. Let's, let me read this to you from Leviticus chapter 14. This was when, this wasn't the heal of the leper. This is when God had healed the leper, okay? If he did, it's kind of interesting, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I'm just gonna say to you, I'm gonna read this, but guess what? This ritual I'm going to read there's no record of it, of it ever being conducted because it came and was given in the law of Moses to conduct when someone was healed of leprosy. It was never fulfilled. You say, wait, you know, the Lord healed Miriam. That was before the law was given. He healed Naaman. Naaman was a Gentile, okay? There's no record of a Jew under the law being healed of leprosy in the Old Testament and going to the priest and having this law conducted. This gets really heavy, guys, because it all ties into Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Amen? Chapter 14 of Leviticus, verse 2, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his clean, clean, cleansing. Now, this is what happens after God's healed him. Then this is going to take place. And he's not considered cleansed until he goes through this ritual. And only then can he go back into the community of believers among Israel. And then even then, for seven days, he's inspected and uh, other things take place before he can go to his own tent. And there's a number of sacrifices that follow and so forth. Uh, 
to where he's totally accepted. All these different things point ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ and his work in us. But this first ritual, off the charts, man. This shall be the law of the leper, the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Isn't that interesting? All the other rituals typically were performed in the camp, in the tabernacle, or around the tabernacle. Okay? Or in the Holy Holies, once a year with the, 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 the uh, Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. So it's interesting. Uh, this time, the priest would go outside the camp. And outside the camp, the leper would be brought before him, but he would be outside the camp. Thus, the priest shall look. And if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give leprosy, uh, give, uh, I'm sorry, then the priest shall give orders to take two live birds. Two live birds, okay? If you read a little bit later, you'll talk, it talks a little bit later about two live birds, another ritual, and it says two turtle doves or two pigeons. And there's a number of times where it specifies, it's, they have to be live birds, they have to be clean birds, okay? And the only time you see the birds specified as to what type they should be of live birds, we read turtle doves, which are quite beautiful. I just talked about them earlier, or pigeons. Now it's interesting, two, two live clean birds, it says, and cedar wood, isn't that interesting? And a scarlet string. There's the scarlet thread again, you know, that's woven all throughout scripture, which is a color of our Lord Jesus' blood. And hyssop, sound familiar? For, for the one who is to be cleansed. And by the way, the red heifer, which I didn't get into either, also had the scarlet string and some of these other things mentioned here. And the red heifer was what color heifer? Red, okay? I mean, this is a blow mine. It's all points to Jesus' blood, right? The priest shall string the hyssop uh, for the one who is to be cleansed, the priest shall also give orders to slay one bird. Listen to this. To, order, to slay one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water, okay? That would mean water from a spring, okay? Or water from a, a stream that you put in the clay pot along with the bird. For the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them now check this out, it's a live bird that they didn't kill in the pot, in the clay vessel, the earthenware vessel, and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the third. So you're taking the hyssop, you're taking the scarlet thread, uh, you're taking the, the cedar, so scarlet thread, you're tying the cedar wood, a little branch of cedar, you know, a little piece of cedar, uh, a little piece of hyssop, you're tying them around the living dove, uh, and then you're dipping the living dove in the dead blood of the, uh, the blood from the dead Dove. Verse 7. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean. And shall let the bird, then he says, it's a live bird, go free over the open field. Just let it go. And the one to be cleansed shall be washed, shall wash his clothes and shave off the hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward, he may enter the camp. Okay? But he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. Now, it's quite interesting because even though he'd been healed, he wasn't yet clean before the Lord because this ritual had to take place before he could enter back into the community of believers. And this ritual right here, what in the world is going on here? A radical, radical, radical picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, huh. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 4, 27. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. That kind of underscores the idea that we have no record of a Jew actually being healed of leprosy after the completion of the law of Moses and subjected to this law and being healed and able to go back into the camp and the priest actually conducting this. Mind-blowing. And all this is... It's going to all come to a crescendo and make sense for you in a little bit. And you're just going to, if, if you want truth, if you're really looking for truth, guess what? Boom! It's all over the Bible, man. You can't, I'm not making this stuff up. This is right there, man. And, it's, and how vivid are, is this a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? Now, it's interesting to me that the Jews recognized that they were not able, the priests were not able to cure the lepers. They just couldn't do it. And they had no record of, it's like, wow, why did Moses give us his law? 
Is it ever going to be used? Oh, it was going to be used, but not in the Old Testament times. Not with their high priest that succeeded one another, not with all the priests under him. Now, it's interesting because it's going to be used, though. But it's interesting that when Jesus came on the scene, he healed many lepers. And guess what? The Jews talked about messianic miracles. They had two classifications of miracles. One were miracles that God could, by his spirit, fill a prophet with, his spirit, and then heal someone supernaturally. But then there are what they called the messianic miracles, which are only three, that, that as the Jews, ancient Jews before Jesus, the rabbis, classified them. And before Jesus, they said one of these three, the first of the three, will be, guess what? Healing lepers. Because they couldn't do it. And when the Messiah comes, he'll heal lepers. And Jesus, guess what? He came. He healed lepers. And we read in Luke chapter 5, 14 and 15, after he, 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 just one of the lepers he, he healed, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him. And he healed, uh, and to be healed of their sicknesses. So no wonder news of him spread. This guy's healing lepers. And no wonder they understand him to be the Messiah. Pretty, can you imagine now one of these guys goes to the priest. I've been clean. I can go back. And he goes to the high priest or he goes to the priest or he sends for the priest because they actually couldn't go in the camp and the priest would go out to him, right? And first it says in Leviticus chapter 13, the first few verses, that the high priest is supposed to go. And it says, or one of his sons, right? Which would be Aaron's at that point, uh, his sons, which they never were able to do because none of these guys were ever healed then, uh, was to go. So isn't that interesting? But now... Jesus is claiming to be Messiah, and now the Jews are waiting for a Messiah that will heal lepers, and now they have lepers lining up to go through this ritual. They're like, wait a minute, let's dust off this page of the scroll, you know? Let's see what's going on here. What are we supposed to do? Because we've never had to do this before. Quite amazing when you think about it, and their jaws. I would love to have seen the jaws of these priests dropping over and over again. What in the world is going on here? You know, well, the Messiah had shown up, amen? The Messiah had shown up. And as strange as this ritual was uh, to a lot of people, it's not strange at all when you start to break it down and realize what it's pointing to. And it's interesting when we talk about the high priest coming out because the high priest would go, he's the first one mentioned, although another priest could do it as well, but he's the first one mentioned in Leviticus 13. The high priest of Israel, one a year, the only guy that could go into the Holy of Holies once a year to, on the Day of Atonement. Who is he a picture of? He's a picture of who? He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is uh, our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About seven different times in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus is our, is our high priest or our priest or our, our, our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, you know? And he is our high priest. And there's a prophecy in the Psalms, even by David, that he'd be a priest uh, after the order of Melchizedek. And it's quite interesting that you couldn't be declared clean until you came and go into the camp until you were declared clean. Well, guess what? The high priest leaves the camp, leaves the tabernacle, which represents the presence of God. Jesus left where? Come on now. He left the heavenly kingdom, amen? And he left the camp. And he came to identify with us. And this is quite remarkable. Because guess what? In the incarnation, what did he take upon himself? Human flesh, amen? What are we made out of? The dust of the earth, we're earthen vessels. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, that uh, God, Jesus, dwells in us, and he's the treasure in the earthen vessels. Well, he took upon his own body. And think about this now. The high priest leaves the camp of heaven. The word, who is God, becomes flesh and dwells among us. He tabernacles among us. But then he takes flesh. What in the world is going on with this first dove? This dove is a heavenly bird. The Bible says the birds fly through the heavens. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's put in a what? Earthen vessel. Okay? It's a, it's a bird that's supposed to fly and be free. And it's subjugated to an earthen vessel like us. It's a radical picture of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Although he was in the very form of God, he didn't consider equality of God something to be held on to, okay? But he left the privileges he had in heaven, retaining his deity, and became flesh. And it says, 
He didn't just became flesh, became like a servant, and then he died. But he didn't say he just died. It says even the death on the cross. He was executed. What happens to that bird? It, that's incarnated into or put in the earthen vessel. It's killed. It's killed. Now, this is mind-boggling because, first of all, notice that the elements that I mentioned and I read about in Leviticus chapter 14, just those first several verses, notice that those elements are all related to the Gospels and related to Jesus. First of all, Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter like myself. And it says he was referring to the Holy Spirit. And the word another there is not the word heteros, which has to do with uh, another, like husband and wife, heterosexual, one that's similar but totally different, male and female. It's the word alas, which has to do with another just like me. So Jesus is just like the Spirit. And the Spirit's just like the Father. Not saying exactly the same, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they share the same, they share the, they share the same essence of God. They're the one God, three persons, one God, amen? What's interesting, when the Holy Spirit, who is like Jesus, and another one like me, another, glory means like him, came upon Jesus at his baptism, he fell upon him like a what? Like a dove, okay? The Holy Spirit fell like a dove, but Jesus, guess what? The Holy Spirit wasn't incarnated in human flesh to die for us. Jesus was the second person of the triune Godhead, amen? The dove took an earthen vessel. Are you with me? He took an earthen vessel to be with us. Now, I think it's really, really interesting that everything we're talking about here, the different implements that are used in this ritual, they're all associated with Jesus and the cross and his crucifixion. Not only the clay vessel, not only uh, the dove itself, but think of scarlet, scarlet thread. When Jesus was being crucified, just before they put him on the cross, it says, then the soldiers of the governor uh, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Not an accident, folks, okay? And there's so many heavy things going on right there. You know, that's next year, you can hold on. It'll come quick if COVID goes away a little while or the government lets us, sets us free a little bit. Thank God we're already free in Jesus, though, amen? You can put handcuffs on me. You can put me in a cell. I'm already free in Jesus. You can't, you can't. We're invincible in Christ. On your own, you're not. You're dead. You're dead meat. But in Christ, because he's invincible. In him, we have invincibility because of him. Scarlet. So he's wearing scarlet. And then they strip him of that, and then he goes to the cross. And guess what? He turns scarlet again because he's crucified for us. He's already got his blood all over him. Hyssop. Hyssop. That's at the cross too. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty, and a jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. So the hyssop is there. The scarlet is there. He's, his face is more marred than any man's, right? They beat his head again and again and, and flogged him all over the place, man. So he's just, you got the, the scarlet, you've got the hyssop, you know? What about the wood? This, well, the Bible says put the cedar wood there too. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to, that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. His wounds, by his wounds you have been healed, amen. You got the scarlet, you got the hyssop, you got the wood, you got the, the heavenly bird that has taken flesh, amen. You have the scarlet, you have all of it. Oh, by the way, you're supposed to put some of that running water in the, uh, earthen vessel. Well, guess what? First John chapter five, verse six. This is the one who came by water, Jesus, and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And is a spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. Chapter 19, verse 34, at his crucifixion, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Now it's interesting because as human beings, we're in these clay vessels, but we're about 70% water. That's what the earth is, almost right around 70% water as well. And when it was in its first created state, tohu wabohu, it's when Jesus, the light of the world came, said, let there be light, and his word spoke, amen, and the spirit of God was hovering in the water, that it was remade. Guess what? Jesus on the cross partook of human flesh. That earthen vessel is a mixture of flesh, or I should say clay and water. That's what we're a mixture of. Jesus became one of us to identify with us. And his water, though, we're dead. Amen? We're, we're spiritually dead. But 
he gives the water of life, which is a picture of eternal life, okay? John 4, 14, he says to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, but whoever drinks this water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him, uh, uh, he says, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Amazing, it's all there. Because he died and life is in the blood and we had no life to give because we're dead in our sins. He has the life to give, amen? And he pours out his blood to cleanse us from our sins. And the water, I believe, is a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit and the eternal life that he gives us through his death. Now, by the way, I think it's interesting with regard to cedar wood. Cedar wood is very interesting because it's incredibly strong compared to other trees as a bug repellent. It's just like really, really strong, you know? And it's so funny when I was working on this message last night, my wife was like, man, we're spending so much time at home because you're not allowed to go out. And she's like wanting to buy like a swing for our backyard, you know? And uh, she's showing me different ones and talking to the, the girls and talking to me and come back in and she's like, which one? We've decided this one or this one, oak or cedar. I'm like, wow. And I told this one, I really think, and she, I think it's like $300 swing or something like that. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, but you know what? Cedar. I, I said, well, I think cedar. What's odd? You're going to walk in on me, you know? Although you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. I just thought it was kind of cool. I'd like to be reminded of Jesus because when I'm sitting, I'm resting in his blood because guess what? Cedar, guess what color that wood is, brothers and sisters? Red. Jonathan, you work with wood, right? Cedar's beautiful. Red wood, amen? And red is the color of the blood, again. Red heifer, cedar, scarlet. God, all these things are pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's, who is, his cross is the ultimate bug repellent, amen? We overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb, amen? By the word of our testimony, we love not our lives even unto death. So it's all these amazing pictures, you know? Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, uh, they will be like wool, you know? It's through Christ's death and the shedding of his blood that our impure blood can become white as snow. And it's interesting because you have this other dove, right? The one that's a living dove. It's a living dove. You're not supposed to kill that one. What are you supposed to do with that one? You're supposed to tie the hyssop in the cedar around him with the red thread or the scarlet thread. You're supposed to dip it into the earthen vessel that has the dead dove in it, right? And what's happening right there? The Lord is identifying this living dove with the dead dove. He's showing that, guess what? I mean, he, he, the Lord asked them to use, commanded them to use how many doves? Two, why? Because these two different doves show different aspects of the gospel. The first dove shows the incarnation, became an earthen vessel, amen? Became what? Became flesh, so to speak, like lost its wings or gave up its privilege, I should say, to fly because Jesus never lost his deity. And then it's executed. Then guess what? The second dove is taken, a living dove, and it's identified with the first dove as the one that died as though it had died itself. And probably its tail feathers are... are submerged and you know it comes out of that that earthen vessel covered with water and blood just like Jesus could come out of his side but it's alive and then guess what it's let free to fly through the heavens sound familiar Jesus rose from the dead that's why God had them use two doves because the first dove shows his incarnation and his death for our sins amen the second dove shows his glorious resurrection amen you know why I can't doubt the scripture at all? Because, and if there was just a couple of those, that would be enough to just, whoa, man, God, you're gnarly. But it's all over the scripture. God's constantly saying, here's how beautiful my son is. Here's the beautiful things he's done for you. Here's how much we love you, amen? Here's what he went through to save you. And he goes through all these things. And you know what? I imagine the priest saying, why are we doing all this? But they never could do this ritual. They don't have to say, why are we going through this? And this is quite an involved ritual, especially as you continue to read on. But it's, it's mind-boggling, uh, that bird was let go as a picture of the resurrection, okay? Now, it's also interesting that that bird was then taken before it was let go, though, right? 
it was submerged in the blood. Then guess what? The man who was the leper that had been healed, but he has one that had been cleansed, had to be claimed before he could go into the uh, community of believers. He was then sprinkled seven times. Seven times with the blood from this bird before it was let go. Seven is a number of what? Completion, perfection. In fact, it's interesting, in Hebrews chapter, in Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews, mostly in chapter seven, nine, 10, seven different times, it says that Jesus died once, only one time for all. He didn't have to, he, it says one time. He didn't have to keep dying like in Roman Catholicism where the, the blood is constantly being offered and there's this perpetual ongoing sacrifice. That's false doctrine. He died once for our sins, and it mentions that seven times. And I was like trying to verify that, man. So I went through, uh, I think it took me chapter one through chapter 10 of Hebrews. I didn't read every verse, but I just kept scanning until I had all seven because I, I got to make sure I'm right on that. And yes, so I was looking for that last one and made sense. There it was. Found it. I'm like, okay. I was looking for quite a few of them, but I was found that last one a little bit later. I was like, oh, praise God, because that's such a beautiful teaching because his, his sacrifice was perfect. Amen. Once for all. Provide salvation to whoever will come. Amen. And seven times this person was to be, and, and that was a picture of the completion of Jesus' sacrifice. It is finished. Amen. He fully died for our sins. And we have cleansing through him. And he was sprinkled. The man was sprinkled. And guess what? The Bible speaks of Christ's blood sprinkling us. The parallels are just, they seem unending, right? Uh, Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, this great passage on the Messiah coming to die for our sins 700 plus years before it actually happened. Thus, chapter 52, verse 15, thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ooh, there's the water. And chapter 12, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to, be, and to his, guess what? And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the, of, better than the blood of Abel. Amen? Because the blood of God who came in the flesh. So this is all really, really powerful. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Amen? If you are in Christ and you're trusting Jesus, you're made perfect forever and you're standing with God. You've been justified, declared righteous before God through faith in our Messiah. If you wanted those seven scriptures, well, I'm not gonna do that. Take too much time because I'm gonna have to cut myself off on something I'm, I'm gonna wish I had said later. They're in Hebrews though. <laughs> that said he died once. Now it's interesting. We need to make sure, and this goes so deep. I mean, I can't tell you how many of my notes I skipped, okay? It's all typed, and I'm saying probably one-third of what's on here because I want to get this all in, that all, the most important points in that I think are the most important, but how can you miss this typology? And by the way, one dove wouldn't do in this particular picture because it only showed one aspect, Christ's incarnation and his death. Those are both heavy. They needed a second dove to show the second aspect because he didn't only die for our sin, it says he rose for our justification. So the other dove shows the resurrection. But it's not just the two doves. Also the high priest has to leave the camp. Amen? And by the way, the high priest would literally leave the camp, okay, and go to the place of the leper, and Jesus left the camp, okay? He left the camp. And he was crucified, literally, check this out. The Bible says he was crucified outside the camp. If you go to Jerusalem, you go to Golgotha where many believe he was crucified. We don't know for sure that's the exact spot. Golgotha means a place of skull. Even to this day, it looks like a huge mountain of skull right off the road, you know? And guess what? You look at, I looked at photographs of that 70, 80 years ago, and you could see the two eyes even look more like a skull. We don't know absolutely for sure if that was the place, but it's outside the old city walls, outside the camp. And that's where the crucifixion took place. And listen to what it says of our high priest, Jesus, who left the camp. Listen to what it says. It says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered, listen to this, suffered outside the gate. It's talking about the city gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. Guys, it's all right here in Leviticus chapter 14. You know, the Messiah 
Only Messiah is going to be able to do this though, right? He's the only one that healed leper. So isn't it interesting? The Messiah comes and he's the one that heals the leper. He's the one who's the high priest that goes outside the camp. He's the one that dies for the leper because he takes the earthen vessel upon himself and he rises again and ascends to heaven, right? There's the flying. Acts chapter one, I think verse 11, they beheld him and they saw him ascend to heaven into a cloud. You know what? Said he's going to come in the same way. Just makes me just want to laugh, makes me want to cry, makes me want to just raise my hands and say, praise you, Jesus. But I hope to God, amidst all these things going on, if you get caught up in his love and the purpose of his will and the wonder of who he is and the wonder of the gospel and that this God who created everything loves you so much that he gave you all these pictures, man, because we love pictures. In the volume of the book, he said it was written of me. And then we opened the book. Moses spoke of me. He asked a lot of Moses, like, whoa, no doubt he did, Jesus. You should get all excited and all the different things and problems and things that we go through. Keep your eyes on Jesus, man. He's the love of your soul. And the worst thing that could happen to you in this world is to die of COVID-19 or something else or, or go through a horrific type of situation. But guess what? The worst thing that could happen to us is we could die of spiritual leprosy. And it's the point a man wants to die, but after this is judgment. The death rate of COVID-19 per capita of what they get, it, people are debating that right now. Now they're really reducing the number lately. But guess what? The death rate of sin is 100%. We all have spiritual leprosy. But Jesus died for all of our sins to extricate us from the worst situation that we all are in. And that's eternal separation from God, be shut out from his kingdom forever. And he died on the cross to pay for your sins. He is the dove of heaven who took an earthen vessel and at the cross, there's the scarlet, there's the, there's the wood, <laughs> you know, there's the hyssop, uh, there's the dove, there's the earthen vessel, the wood, he's on it, and he's dying for our sins. But guess what? Like the second dove, boom, he flew away. And guess what? He identifies with the first dove. Why? Let us, he opens his, see my hands and my feet. See, it is me because he bore the scars. Just like the first dove was bloody and everything, he shows forth that he is that dove. Okay? Mine blowing. Now, he went outside the camp. So it wasn't enough to do, use one dove. It wasn't enough to use two. It was the high priest, you know, Jesus. Now, the Bible says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, Hebrews 10.4. But the scriptures say that Christ, our high priest, offered himself in the book of Hebrews. So it wasn't just the two doves. It wasn't just the high priest. The high priest actually went out the camp and offered himself, Jesus did, on the cross. So we have this faithful high priest who, quote, offered himself unblemished to God, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. And he still bears those scars. They looked at Jesus and they saw his hands and his feet and they marveled. Thomas fell down and said, the Lord of me, the God of me. In Revelation chapter 5, who is worthy to unloose the scroll, the seven-sealed scroll? John's weeping. The elder says, stop weeping. The line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He saw the line of the tribe of Judah. And he says he saw one as though he had been slain. He still bears. That's the resurrection dove, man. He still bears those wounds that he bore on the cross. Two doves to show two different aspects of the one Christ, the high priest, to show a whole nother. So you have all these different players involved and all these other things, cedar and hyssop and, you know, uh, scarlet thread, <laughs> red wood, all pointing to Jesus. And it's in a short, small amount of verses, guys. That's just one of the many, many types. One of my favorites. You can see, when I say this is one of my favorites, I'm legitimately, that's my heart. This is definitely one of my favorites, you know? And sometimes it becomes my favorite, you know? So then I shift back to Genesis chapter 22 or somewhere else in the scripture, you know? I'm sorry, it was Acts 1.9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. You know what's really cool about this? What's really cool about this is he flew away. But Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. One day, because we identify with him and his death and what he did for us, we're going to be able to identify, as we already do in our hearts, through the gospel, being in Christ with his resurrection, and our lives are hid with God in Christ. But one day when he comes, our bodies will be resurrected, and we will fly away. It says we'll meet him in the air. Amen. You ready to fly? Biblically, that's what you're going to do because of the gospel. But the greatest thing is who we're going to fly with. Amen? We're going to fly with Jesus. So I mentioned, you know, and I think this is very important to understand, that when Jesus, nobody had healed these lepers before. No Jewish leper was ever healed, and that, that never had taken place. 
But guess what Jesus did? Remember the 10 lepers that he healed? Remember that? What did he say to the 10 lepers? He said, go now to the priest and show them what has happened. Go to the priest and report. Now, they didn't even heal him yet. He said, go tell the priest, you know. And as they went, it says they were healed. Can you imagine them walking with each other? They know each other. They had the, the, the audacity to go and wait for him, no matter how tired he was, what plans he had. They're going to wait on the road. And boom, when he's going between Samaria and, and Galilee, boom, he, he sees them. And, and he speaks his words to them. And they turn to go to the priest. And they're healed. Can you imagine? And guess what? You have not one leper. They've never seen one leper. Ten show up. One Samaritan, nine Jews. They're like, man, we got to do ten of these. We've only never even done one. This was the Messiah. He had come. He had, he had shown up. The Messiah was there. And of course, that leper could be healed. But was that leper, the ten lepers that were healed, did that mean they were right with God and they could go to heaven now? No, they still had to be what? Cleansed, right? They had to go through that ritual, but that ritual was just symbolic before they can get back in the community, but Christ had to go to the cross after he healed them and die for our sins, the first dove, and rise again so they could get into the heavenly tabernacle, so they get into the heavenly kingdom. I feel like David sometimes, such wisdom is, you know, too much for me. It's like, wow, Lord, your word is just so just deep and profound, and it's so, so amazing. Now, it's interesting, since the biblical record was devoid of a single instance of a leper actually being uh, healed by natural means or by a priest, uh, when Jesus healed the leper and made him clean, the lepers, they were able to go into the community of Israel, but through their faith in him and then his death and resurrection on the cross, there we get into the heavenly kingdom. And listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. Last book of the Bible. Last chapter of that book. Blessed are those who wash their robes, right? So you can get into the gates of the city. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Okay. So we have this amazing, amazing reality. And I think all of us need to give thanksgiving and praise to God, man. I think we need to become greater worshipers of the Lord God than we are. We need to be thinking of these things all the time and be giving thanks to the Lord our God. Amen. In fact, it's imperative. Uh, David said in his prayer after he'd fallen in sin, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Amen. Remember the hyssop? You'd put the, uh, the Passover lamb, the blood, in the three spots, and the blood would drip down from the middle spot, and you would, the death angel would pass over during Egypt, the 10th plague, the death of your firstborn, he was spared, amen? Hyssop. David says, clean me with hyssop. The hyssop was a picture of Jesus. Jesus at the cross, the Roman soldier puts the drink to his mouth and brings hyssop back down to the human race. Quite profound. Quite beautiful. Now, On a practical level, we need to make sure that we are clean and that we have applied the blood to our lives so we can enter into God's presence. Amen? See, the high priest would go outside the camp, right? But when he went outside the camp, according to Luke, uh, Leviticus chapter 13, right before that, you had to go out and meet him. After he came out, you had to come to him. He didn't just go into you and see you laying in bed, kicking back. Not, you had to want to be cleansed. You had to respond in faith. And then, guess what? He'd come out. Jesus had come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I love this, though. The, pre, the high priest or the subordinate priest would go out and search for the leper. God left his camp and searched for us. Amen? That's that provenient grace, man. But you have to respond to that grace, and he had to go and come to him. We have to apply it to our lives. We have to come to him. Amen? And... We need to receive cleansing and confess our sins before the Lord. And it's interesting when you look at what this man had to do, you know. He had to shave himself. He had to wash himself. He had to shave himself, you know. Otherwise, he couldn't even go into his tent or even go into the, go into the, go into the camp until he did that. We need to repent in our hearts and turn from sin. Amen. And if you're in sin right now, you're a believer, and you're, but you've rebelled against God, the Bible says, 
and you're going to bring a gift to God at the altar and worship him, but you have remembrance that somebody has something against you, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. Repent. Get right. Amen? And then go bring your gift to the altar. We didn't make sure that we realize that we cannot enter into his presence with unclean hands. We have to come with a repentant heart. Now, he's the one that cleans us by his precious blood. Amen? So if you confess your sins before me, you say, yeah, you know what? I'm a sinner. I've blown it. Yes, I'm a spiritual leper. Praise God. Jesus came to die for the spiritual lepers, you and me. He paid for our sins. He rose again. But you must acknowledge that you're a spiritual leper and come out to him in faith and say, cleanse me. Amen? And then you'll be wa- your sins will be washed away. Amen? And then you must continue to follow the Lord in faith. Amen? And grow in your walk with him. So if there's anybody here, you know, anybody that is not trusting Jesus Christ, is not, what a, Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a wonderful or great salvation? This is great, guys. And that's, he's given us a myriad of pictures to show us over and over again so we don't become too familiar with what he's done. Too familiar meaning inoculated to the truth because we just think it's just, oh, that happened. No, he's shown us in so many different ways what lengths he went to save us, amen? So you need to make sure You need to make sure that you're truly embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to make sure during, I mean, because you're going to die, you're going to be either eternally separated from the holy city and not get into the gates in the lake of fire forever, or you're going to be cleansed of your sins and forgiven. And you can only be forgiven because the lepers couldn't heal themselves. You can't heal yourself. You have to rely on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, so you can enter in to the holy city. Amen? So I encourage you to do that. Then I encourage you to walk with him and never turn back. Amen? We love you guys. Look forward to next week and actually this coming Wednesday. We love you guys. encourage you to press on in the Lord Jesus Christ because you are so loved. And this is proof of it. This is his love letter, which he's written with so many different explanations about his great love for you. Never doubt it. Fall on your face before him and just worship him. Love you guys. Press on in Jesus.